Nehemiah 2, 11 through 18. Nehemiah says, I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. I arose in the night, and a few, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon gate to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass because of all the rubble. I went up into the night by the valley, inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. That's important. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us arise and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. So just kind of a way of introduction. Some of you already know this. Some of you don't. So we'll just kind of get everybody as much as possible on the same page. Nehemiah is in Babylon. Uh, he was born and raised in Babylon. He's a Jew, but he was born and raised in captivity. He happens to be a cupbearer in the service of the king of Babylon. Uh, upon the return of uh, some of his fellow Jews that had been in Jerusalem coming back to Babylon, he asked them concerning the people of Israel who had gone back to their homeland and concerning the city of Jerusalem because uh, God had intervened after 70 years of captivity. He allowed some to go back. Well, actually, he allowed all of them to go back, but uh, only a remnant went back. Not all of them went back because what happens is they got, they got accustomed to life in, in Babylon, but some did go back. And hearing Nehemiah, their report that the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire, a great burden of prayer came upon him. And ultimately, this burden led to a desire and a call and a vision to do something about the situation. When Nehemiah finally gets to Jerusalem, he surveys the work that needs to be done. That's what we were reading about. And he casts the vision to the people for what God is wanting to do. What struck me as I read this book again was the statement in verse 16. And the officials, because he hadn't told anybody, did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Who was going to do the work? The people that were in Jerusalem. Everyone said, well, wait a minute. It's Nehemiah's burden. Is it Nehemiah's burden or is it God's burden? Is it Nehemiah's vision or is it God's vision? It's the Lord's vision that was given to Nehemiah, and that's how God works. Oftentimes, he allows, uh, he gives revelation to the people through a person. Well, I don't like that. Well, whether you like it or not has nothing to do with it. Our desire is to learn the ways of God. It's not to change the ways of God because God's not going to change. Now, God can speak to anyone and everyone at the same time, but what we usually find in Scripture is that that's not how he works. When he wanted to give the Israelites the revelation of the covenant and of the law that he was going to make with the Israelites, he spoke to Moses, and Moses revealed what God showed to him to the people. When he was going to invade the promised land uh, with the Israelites to, in, to inherit the land that God had given them, he spoke to Joshua, and then Joshua spoke to the people, right? So when he wanted to reveal to us the new covenant, he spoke to, to, to Jesus, and then Jesus spoke to the people. 
when I worked for my pastor, when I was working for him, uh, I, I, I was on staff in uh, Fort Worth when I was going to seminary there and worked for my pastor. And we would talk all the time, and uh, he would come and say, I feel like the Lord's telling me this, and I feel like the Lord's telling me this, and I feel like the Lord's telling me this. And I, would, I, I went, <laughs> I went uh, home, and I said, well, how come God doesn't talk to me? Why does he always talk to him? And I began to realize that the Lord was talking to me. He was talking to me through him. Well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want it to work. I'm not going to listen unless the Lord speaks to me. Well, you're going to be uh, uh, in silence for a long time because God's not necessarily moved by our whims and our desires. As I said, God doesn't move with us. We're learning to move, to, to move with him. And it's our job to learn the ways of God. And if you want to get revelation from God, you've got to do it his way, right? you're going to find, too, as you plug into the people of God, you're going to find more answers to prayer than when you're out there on your own as a lone ranger. So how can you say that? God's with me. He's with you, but he's also with others. And they have gifts, and they hear from God, and they hear some things from God that, well, God can talk to me. He can't, but what we're finding and what you're going to find is that he will talk to you, but oftentimes he'll talk to you through someone else. Well, I don't like that. (laughs) Here we go again. It's not about whether you like it or not. It's about how God works. We want to hear from God. We want to grow in God. We want, we've got to learn the ways of God. And when we learn the ways of God, it's kind of like God's underneath that cloud. Well, God's over here too, and I don't have to be under the cloud to, get the, you know, to be touched by God. Well, you're going to find, though, is that if you're not under the cloud, you won't receive what the people under the cloud will receive. So it's not my job to say, hey, God, I need to be, uh, uh, you need to come over here because he's not going to do it, right? Or God, you can touch me without doing that. He can, but what you're going to find is that when you learn the ways of God and get under the cloud, you're going to get a lot more than if you were staying outside the cloud. All right. Anyway, when Nehemiah first arrives in Jerusalem, he looks at the work and he said to them, he tells them what the burden of the Lord is. Nehemiah knew that for God's will to be accomplished, the people themselves would have to rise up and do the work. It's something that we today can and should take note of, and it's what we want to seek to, uh, uh, to learn a little bit more about and see how it applies to us. First point we want to look at is the call to work. They were called to work. Matthew 5, 14 and 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your flame. Is that what it says? So that they may see, uh, uh, you know, your good works. Can you say with me? Works And by the way, it's not singular, it is plural, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Many professing Christians erroneously think that they are true believers just because they believe in Jesus, yet they show little evidence, if any, of genuine faith. For much of the Christian world, faith is a noun. It is something we believe, but to the Lord, faith is an action word. It is the way we live and what we do. In, in, in our easy believism world of modern Christianity, we really need to ponder the words of, the, of James when he says to us in James 1 and 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Not deceiving anybody else, you're deceiving yourselves. 
uh, I like the way somebody put it, is that we live in a world where if we give mental assent to something, we, dis- we say that we agree with it or we believe it. But that's not the biblical understanding of faith. Biblical understanding of faith is having a knowledge of something and then applying that knowledge to your life. It's not understanding until you do it. We think understanding is when we hear it and we can, we can check it off in our mind, we can quote the fact, but it's not understanding biblically until you are doer of the word. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken to a man who built his house on the rock. The, the one who hears my word and doesn't do them, I will liken to a man that builds his house upon the sand. So what's the key there? It's hearing and doing, right? James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And a lot of people will say, well, wait a minute, that's talking about your character. You should be developing fruit. Yes, you're right, but it also is talking about your works because it says in that same chapter, what good is it if you see somebody that, that, that's cold and need and you say to them, I'm going to pray for you, but you don't do anything for them right? So it's not just talking about your character, it's talking about your works, right? Now, many people may say that they love God, many people may say that they love you, but the proof is in their attitudes and actions. John made it very clear with these words in 1 John three eighteen: little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What's he talking about? Action, what we do, right? So, we looked at, we're called to work, now let's look at the workers, and we're going to start always with Jesus. Uh, did you know that Jesus worked? Well, yeah, he was a carpenter. He was a carpenter for 30 years, but then he was in ministry, uh, uh, full-time ministry for three years, and whether you think so or not, is work. Right? It may not be the same type of work, but it's work. Jesus worked, John 5 and 17. He's, he himself says, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Matthew 16 and 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I, Jesus said, I will build my church. Building is working, right? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 4, 18 through 22, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, you know, we, I'm going to make a table, or I'm going to make a, 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 a train set, or I'm going to put together a puzzle. We say, well, that's work, or I'm going to make something. I'm going to weld something. I'm going to make that. But I want you to know that making men is just as important, and it's just as much work. Maybe even more, because a pipe doesn't, <laughs> doesn't say, stop that. Leave me alone. Don't mess with me. If you're a welder, a pipe is just there, and you've got to join the two things together. But try working with people. Right? They're, they're always willing until they hurt. Or they're always willing until it costs them something that they don't want to give. And Jesus had some work to do. And so he was calling them. He said, you, you've been fishers of, of fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of 
men. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What I'm saying is that the job that he had, the work he was doing, was to bring the kingdom of God into manifestation. He was going to a cross, but he was also calling people to become his disciples and to take up the mantle that he had himself. Amen? He had a work to do. So Jesus worked, and then the, the apostles worked. All of us can agree, can agree on this because, you know, this is all in the Bible. The apostles' work. We know that the building of the church didn't stop when Jesus ascended to heaven. It continued through the disciples whom he called apostles. John 14, 12 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, I, I purposely read farther in that passage because I want to put that here in a minute. It's going to come together. Then we know in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he said, Go therefore, and he's talking to the apostles and the disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So they're to, they're to go and make disciples. They're going to do the works that Jesus did. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. And then he says in Acts 1 and 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That was their work, to preach the word of God and to pray. In Acts, it's in Acts chapter 6. Their ministry, their service, how they worked was to be in the word and in prayer. They not only studied the Word, they proclaimed the Word, they, they led people to God, they did the work of God. The same work that Jesus did, that's what they did. So what did the first disciples do with the commission and the empowerment from on high they were given? As you read through the book of Acts, you find they took the commands of Jesus to heart and they set about to do the work that Jesus had commissioned them to do. Acts 2, 40 through 47, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saving, saying, Peter is, is preaching to the crowd, and so Peter's doing the work. Save yourselves from this crooked generation, so those who received his word, he's doing the work, he's preaching, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then it continues, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what are the apostles doing? Teaching, right? Daily. From house to house is what the Bible says, and, and, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and one, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What were they doing? The works, Jesus said, the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do, right? And all who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, right? Now you might say to yourself, well, that was for them, but not for us. Well, that brings me to my third uh, mini point under this, is that we are to work. Turn to somebody and say, I think he's talking to you. I know he's not talking to me. <laughs> 
I saw him look at you. Mark 16, 15 through 18, just in case you think, well, the command was given to the apostles. It wasn't given to us. Well, let's go back. Okay, Mark 16, 15 through 18 is another, uh, 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 you know, what we call the Great Commission. And Jesus said to them, it's another uh, uh, in the book of Mark, and he words it a little bit differently. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, he's talking to the apostles. He's giving them this instruction. But then he goes on and says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. It doesn't say these signs will accompany the apostles. It says these signs will accompany those who believe. How many of y'all who have been saved would consider yourselves to be believers? You say, don't raise your hand because he's going to get you. I'm a believer. So what happens if you're a believer? You should have works following you. We should be involved in the work. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's not the topic for tonight. I'll go into that at some other time. My point is for you to understand that Jesus said, as believers, we would and were to be involved in the work. Here we find that the Holy Spirit empowerment to be his witnesses was not just for the apostles, but for all those whom the Lord will, our God will call. Remember the sermon that Peter preached in Acts 2, 38 through 39. He said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was in Jerusalem. It was the day of Pentecost. He was preaching to the crowd that was there. But he doesn't stop there. He says, for the promise is for, now what promise? For the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit for? For empowerment to witness, to do the work. He said, and the promise is for you, the people that are here, and your children, and for all who are far off. And if that wasn't inclusive enough, everyone whom the Lord our God will call. Everyone that is saved tonight has responded to the call of God. He said, well, wait a minute. Now, you know, he, he, he didn't physically call me. Well, Isaiah said, uh, when God said, he heard, when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he was in the, uh, having a vision, and he saw the presence of the Lord. He said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And a cherubim came down and touched his lips with a coal from the fire, and, and, and he said, your sins are, are cleansed. And, and all of a sudden, when he was in a place of right standing with God, he heard the voice of God. And he didn't hear, Isaiah, will you go for me? He said, whom will go for me and whom will I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Then the, see, at that particular point, it was Isaiah that was hearing, but I believe that anybody that was hearing at that time could have said, here am I, send me. Then the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Right? How many of us would consider ourselves a whoever? You must. No, I'm a whatever. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm a whoever. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, why would I call on the name of the Lord? Because I've heard the report of God. How, Romans 10, 14, and 15. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, unless you say to yourself, wait, 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 wait. I'm not a preacher. That's the job of a preacher. 
That verse doesn't say the believer. That verse says the preacher. Well, let's read it in a different translation to get the meaning behind the Scripture. In the New Living Translation, they translate it this way. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And the, how can they believe in him if they have not heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Now, you may not be preachers, but I've hinted around some of you. Some of y'all can talk. I said, you're telling me something right there. And you, y'all are tellers. When you talk and communicate, you are telling, Right? You're not preaching, you are speaking, you are telling, you are communicating. That's the gist of that. Every one of us communicates. Every one of us can tell someone something. So what is our privilege? Is to be able to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ by talking to those that I will never get an opportunity to talk to. I don't work in the plants, you work in the plants. How am I going to reach them? Well, I'll invite them to church. Great. Invite them to church, but there's probably 80% of the people, 90% of the people that you invite aren't going to come to church. Well, how are they going to hear the gospel unless somebody preaches to them? Well, they won't hear the gospel if somebody preaches to them, if, they're, if you're expecting for them to come and hear me, but they can hear the gospel if somebody talks to them, and they can get that from you. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Now, you might say to yourself, I still don't believe that's my responsibility. That's the job of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. I know. Ephesians 4.11, that's their job. I'm supposed to support them and the work that they do. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. It depends on what you think their work is that they're called to do. You see, we live in a very... Um, now, I, I grew up, uh, when I got saved, I had to sign a... <laughs> I had to sign a membership card that said, I promise not to go to the moving picture show. But I'll be honest with you, I grew up in a generation that movies were just a part of life. You have bad movies and you have good movies. You have documentaries. We watch them during the summers. We watch The Chosen. Uh, we're going to show season three this summer of The Chosen, and we watch it together. Well, you know, that's a moving picture show, right? So I'm not necessarily against uh, uh, the moving picture shows, uh, but... How did I get off on that? Lord, help me, help me remember how I got off on that. Well, anyway, um, if I don't remember how I got there, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. Um, so anyway, um, he gives apostles, prophets. I'm gonna, I can't remember how I got there. So, sorry. Rabbit trail, it didn't pan out. Anyway, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, you, uh, as I was talking about, he said that's the job of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. That's their job. Well, yes and no. Remember what I said before? It depends on how you understand what their job is. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and, shepherds and teachers. Yes. Oh, okay, I know where I was going with that. I remember now. You go to a movie to watch what somebody else did. You go to spectate, not to participate. And in our culture, church is not something that you participate in. It's something that you spectate in. We go to church to watch other people perform. Now, you might say to yourself, no, that's not why I go to church. If you're not doing something, you're going to church to watch other people perform. 
That's the culture of the day. It's what we've learned. And I'll be honest with you, as part of the ministry, I've unfortunately uh, grown up in a day where the ministry has perpetuated that. Come to church, pay your tithes, reward us with lots of attendance, bring lots of people, and we will make you feel comfortable. You don't have to do anything. We've got everything you need, air conditioner, food, uh, classes. Uh, we will tell you everything that you want. We'll make sure that you're, you're tickled, your ears are tickled. Just make our churches big. Spectator church. But is it biblical? Is it biblical? Well, let's find out. That's the job of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. My job is to support them, yes and no, if you understand what their job is. And that brings us to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. I'm so glad I remember where I was going there. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So God, Jesus gave grace gifts to men. The Holy Spirit gives grace gifts, but the grace gifts are not people. The grace gifts are gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. We'll, we'll study those somewhere down the road. But in this particular instance, when he gives grace gifts, Jesus himself gives grace gifts. It's the person. And I believe they can be man or woman. God has graced them to be dispensers of grace. I like what somebody said. Okay, so grace is what they all give away. But what they give away, what you, what you receive, depends on the grace or the vessel that it's coming through. Uh, sometimes I go to Luby's, and I went to Luby's with Lee the other day, and Lee uh, was working the, the Coke machine. You know, everybody kind of knows. Not, not too many people have those anymore, they, you know, but you have the Coke machine. And you go to the Coke machine, you know, basically what you're getting is carbonated water. It's the same. Every one is carbonated water. But if you go to the Coke, it's flavored as Coke carbonated water. But it's carbonated water, but it tastes like Coke. If you go to Sprite, it's carbonated water, but it has a different flavor. Right? If you go to the orange drink, it's carbonated water, but it's flavored orange. Okay, my point is, uh, and, and uh, Chris Valentin did a great job explaining this. I'm borrowing it from him. He did a just awesome job. My point is, is that it's all carbonated water. It's all grace. What is grace? Grace, a lot of people, the definition they have of grace is receiving something I didn't deserve. It is that, but it's much more than that. Grace is the empowerment of God. It's the empowerment of God to do whatever he's called you to do and to be whatever he's called you to be. So that grace is going to be given to the body through dispensers of grace, and those dispensers are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Am well, I making sense to you? Right? Now, you can have false uh, uh, prophets, and that's Diet Coke. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so what do the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers do? They dispense grace. What is grace? The empowerment of God. Why do you need the empowerment to do nothing? 
God doesn't empower his people to do nothing. God empowers his people to do something. Thank you. Whoever said that, I appreciate that. One person agrees with me. Everybody else, I'm going to wait and see where you're going. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to what? Shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. To empower the saints. So in our little context, I'm a five-fold minister, right? What is my job? Is my job to entertain you? Am I supposed to be like Maximus on the gladiator? Are you entertained? Is that my job? No, according to the text, what's my job? To equip the saints. Now, I'm a saint too. I'm part of the saints. But I also have a grace gift to equip the body. What do I equip the body with? Grace. Who are the saints? If you're part of the saints of God, raise your hand. If you're not, then we're going to have somebody check it out because we need to get you saved so you can be part of the saints of God. All right? So, if we're going to do it in our little context, it's much broader than this, but in our little context, what's my job? To equip you. What do I equip you with? With the grace that God has given me. If I'm an evangelist, my job is to equip you with evangelistic grace. Not so that I can do all the evangelism, but so that I can equip you with grace so you can do evangelism. Paul says, I long to be with you in Romans 1.11, that I may impart into you a spiritual gift. If you rightly understand Scripture, because you have not, because you ask not, and you don't ask because you don't know, and you, my people perish for lack of knowledge, if you rightly understand Scripture, when you come and sit before a, a, a teacher of the Word or somebody that is a fivefold ministry, you're not just getting knowledge, you're also being imparted grace. To do what? To equip the saints. And if you read this in the Greek, which I know you don't understand Greek, but you, you understand diagramming sentences. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this plain for you. To equip the saints. Who's he, who, am I, who's, who are we equipping? Who are the saints? We are. So this side knows they're the saints. This side's still thinking about it. Who's the saints? We're equipping the saints. To do the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? How does the saints get equipped to do the work of the ministry? Through the grace gifts. Who equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they equip the saints, and the saints are supposed to do the work of the ministry. But it's not finished yet. Part two. The saints are supposed to do the work of the ministry. And if you understand Greek, it says the saints are supposed to build up the body. No, that's the pastor's job. That's the staff's job. Not if you understand this passage. What this passage is teaching is that the fivefold ministers are given to the body to equip the body to become all that God intended them for to, the, to be. And what they're called to do is they're called to work. What kind of work do they do? They're supposed to do the work of the ministry. Ministry means serve. When you're working at the doors, you're serving. When you're telling people about the Lord, you're serving. You've got a business, you're serving. We're supposed to serve 
serve the body, serve people, serve our culture, serve. We're supposed to do the works of the ministry, and we're supposed to build up the body of Christ. Right? So it's not supposed to be one pastor. should be how many people we got here? 30? There should be 30 pastors. We, we live in a very immature world where people get mad because the senior pastor didn't call them. Now, I'll ask them, did you get calls from the body? Oh, yeah, I got five, six, seven, eight, nine calls, but you're mad because the senior pastor didn't call you? You're being pastored. You're being pastored by the body. In my sense, in my world, that's a healthy church. An unhealthy church, whereas we're not being pastored unless the senior pastor calls me. Did you get prayed for? Yeah, five people called me. Three people came by, and they prayed for me. But the pastor didn't come. Now, all I'm saying is that that's the culture that we've been growing up in, and it's the culture we've been taught, but it's not biblical. Biblical is to equip the body to do the works that Jesus did. Tell people about the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out devils. Love people. Build them up. Do the work of the ministry. How do we get off on this? Remember, Nehemiah said he had not yet told them about the work that they were going to do. All right, let me pull in on another text to reinforce this point. Luke 4, 18 and 19. Everybody can quote this scripture or everybody's heard this scripture in some way. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Ooh, that's awesome. Great. You may not know that this comes from Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61... It has that, right? And it also says, the day of vengeance of our God. And then it goes on in verse 3 through 4, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So what's happening here? Jesus shows up. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what are we talking about? People who are mourning need something, and Jesus has an anointing to set them free, to set the captives free. Those that are, uh, have a faint spirit, those that uh, you know, uh, are, are in mourning, those that are blind, those that are captive, those that are oppressed, Jesus comes to set them free. The anointing he carries is to set them free. Great. That's what you said. What's the point? Here's my point. In verse 4, it says they. Now, who is they? This is why you need to pay attention in English class. They are those that have been set free. They are those who have been healed. They are all those that are in verse 1 through 3. They are the ones that have been impacted by the Lord. Now they, whose lives are changed, they shall build up the ancient ruins. You know what that word build means? Work! 
They shall build up the ancient ruins. They, same people, the ones that have been set free, ones that have been delivered, ones that Jesus had changed their lives, the ones that have been a garment of praise instead of mourning, the, you know, the ones that, uh, you know, he strengthened those that were a faint spirit. Those people shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Now, let me make this easy for you. Who is they? We are they. We are they. I and you together, we are they. Am I making sense to you? They are not transformed to spectate. You are transformed to liberate, to communicate. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you see in these verses who are the ones who are rebuilding the old ruins, raising up the former desolations, repairing ruined cities? It's the ones who have received the grace of God for healing and restoration. Now they are going out and being the vessels that God is using in the rebuilding of the lives of others who have been devastated. That's why Jesus said, the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do. Jesus went by the fishermen and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will change your life and I will give you a different purpose. And your job is to do what I'm doing with you to do that with others. And our privilege is to do what Jesus has done with us with other people. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace, we all know this, we have been saved through faith. The word salvation means wholeness. We've been made whole. We are being made whole. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we who, those have been saved, we are his workmanship. I like that. Created in Christ Jesus. Ooh, I like that. For good works. I don't like that. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what I'm trying to do today is what Nehemiah was doing back then. He was saying to them, this is what God is wanting to do. And God is going to do an awesome and marvelous thing. But in order for it to be accomplished, we need to get into the work that God is showing us. Now, we like to hear we, but when we hear we, what we really think is them. But we need to think me. Who will go for me and whom will I send? Pastor Rick. Daniel, Woody, but not me. Nehemiah knew that for the work God gave them to do, it would require for everyone to be involved in it. I think that someone has a tongue or prophetic word or something to share when I'm done. I've missed it before, but I felt like he just put that in my heart. So 
Nehemiah knew for the work God gave them to do, it would require for everyone to be involved in. Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit. His name actually means comforter. And as a type of the Holy Spirit, what that should reveal to us is that the Holy Spirit is about bringing the work of building the church to fruition. For the work to be accomplished, it requires the participation of all the people of God. For they that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, what are some of the excuses that people buy into for not participating in the work? Well, I, I don't build because I don't, I don't know, I'm not, so I'm not supposed to. Now, you know you're supposed to. I don't build because God is coming back for us, and why should we build in a, in a world that is going to hell anyway? Because Jesus said, occupy until I come. He said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what good is it to pray if we don't do? Jesus expects us to do something. The church has lost countless numbers of people and countless numbers of souls because we've been hiding under the church with a bushel on our head, not letting our light shine, thinking Jesus is going to come and rescue a defeated, sick bride, and that's not who he's coming for. He's coming back for a healthy bride without spot or wrinkle. And what is a healthy bride doing? He's doing the works of God. Why don't I build? I don't build because I'm comfortable with the way things are where I don't have to do anything. Why don't I build? I don't build because there's, there's too much of an attack of the enemy. Can I tell you something? You are under the enemy's attack if you are living in sloth. Did you know that in the, old, in, in the book of Proverbs, sloth is considered to be the same family as the enemy, as the, the destroyer, the devastator. You're on the same team. Apathy and sloth is on the same team. Not doing anything is apathy and sloth. That's what it means. I don't build because the enemy... Uh, prevents us. Well, he tries to prevent everybody. Paul says, I wanted to come to you again and again, but the enemy hindered us. But you know what Paul said? Again and again. And again and again. That's Freeport. Again and again. I don't bill because it'll cost me. You're right, it'll cost you. It'll cost you everything. But why wouldn't I want to give everything for the one who gave everything for me? He that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. If I catch a glimpse of the Lord and who he is and what he's done for me, and I hear his voice saying, whom will go for me, whom will I send? How can I not say, here am I, Lord. Send me. What little thing I can do if I can do something that brings joy and glory to your name, then here am I. Send me. No more excuses. It's time to put our hands to the plow and get to work and keep working until the work is completed. For Nehemiah, it was until the walls were built. For us, it's until we see the kingdom manifest in the world around us. Luke 9:62. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What that means is you start working and then you quit. You got to start working and you got to continue to working until Jesus comes back. Amen.